You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing the most inspirational leaders in the Australian tech industry together to collaborate, share stories and exchange ideas. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to another new episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast and the latest in our special talent acquisition series, we will be discussing effective candidate assessment practices. As ever, I have a cohort of industry experts who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you on this. So let's get into the intros. Um, I'll start. My name's Liam. I'm the co-founder and managing director of Evolution, a specialist recruitment consultancy with a defined purpose of helping companies and individuals realize their potential and a brand promise to create a great recruitment experience. Lucy, over to you. Oh, thanks, Liam. Um, yeah, I'm Lucy McHugh. I am the um, talent acquisition lead at a company called Casada. Um, so Casada is a cybersecurity platform that essentially defeats automated threats. So what does that mean? So it's a platform that's able to determine what online traffic is coming from a human or what might be a bot. And that can protect businesses and their customers from lots of different nasty things like content scraping, account takeover, even things like identity theft or even money laundering. So lots of different things. So essentially the team handles bots. So customers have the freedom to focus on growing their business as opposed to defending it. That's what we do. Awesome. Thanks, Lucy. Um, Olivia. Thanks, Liam. Um, so my name is Olivia Luchisano. I am a talent acquisition lead at Coles Supermarkets. Uh, probably doesn't need much of an introduction in terms of what Coles Supermarkets does, uh, but I specialise in the recruitment end-to-end for the technology function. Um, I've been recruiting for technology for maybe seven years now, started off in grad recruitment, but um, have been specialising in engineering roles predominantly for the last seven years or so. Um, so yes, that, that's what I do at Coles. Thank you. And Jesse? Yeah, thanks Liam. So yeah, my name's Jesse. Um, I'm a TA partner at Mantle Group. So I'll give you a little bit of an overview about Mantle Group. So we're an IT consultancy and there's uh, 10 different brands within Mantle Group and they're all specific and tailored into their own technologies. Um, so yeah, we was founded in 2017 um, and we still are growing. We've got companies that focus within uh, Microsoft, AWS, GCP, digital. Um, we have um, companies that focus within mobile applications, Databricks, cybersecurity. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about us. Awesome, all right, well, that's a, a, great, a great balance of contributors today. Um, thank you, great to have you all with us. Um, so what are we talking about today? So it's effective candidate assessment practices. So what does that mean? Well, interview processes, especially in the tech industry, take many different forms from one company to the next, sometimes one team to the next, and on occasion, even one interviewer to the next within the same team. Um, But whatever the features of an interview process, the fundamental premise is that the employer is able to accurately and objectively assess the suitability of the candidate for the role in hand. And that's not as easy as it sounds, unfortunately. Um, with seemingly unique tech stacks, projects, working cultures and practices at every company, there really isn't a one-size-fits-all way of effectively assessing candidates. But there are, or rather should be, some non-negotiable essential features of an effective process, and that's what we're going to focus today's conversation on. Um, I think it's fair to say that the first of these essential practices is consistency, making sure each candidate goes through the same process with the same questions or tasks 
so that there's a useful means of comparison between the candidates interviewing for that same role. Uh, Lucy, the importance of consistency of process was something that I know you're especially keen to talk about you uh, talk about today. So I'll, um, I'll hand that over to you to give a little more context. Yeah, thanks, Liam. Um, and like consistency and structured interviewing is something I've sort of implemented in the last couple of roles I've had, and it's always been quite well received. Um, so essentially, starting from the beginning when you're you're opening up a role, it's understanding what makes somebody successful in that role. So doing a bit of a, a mini job analysis, if you will. So speaking to like the hiring manager and different team members. So then you can be sure that you're assessing for the right things. So then when you know what the attributes that you're assessing for, you can essentially assign those to a specific interview and a specific interviewer as well. And also using your ATS like Lever or Greenhouse, and I'm sure all of them have a functionality when you can build out specific feedback feedback forms for each interview. Um, really leveraging that functionality is a bit of a game changer, like populating the attributes, the specific questions that people ask really helps create that consistency across every candidate. Um, of course, it's great at like, minimizing bias. That's like the headline and um, making sure we are measuring all candidates to the same meter stick. But also um, from a feedback perspective, you're able to give candidates really insightful, actionable feedback as well on where they fell down in terms of their answers to their questions. But also as a, a, a recruiter, it makes you look pretty schmick in front of your hiring team. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what you're responsible for. Are you clear? Yes, no, great. So that when people wake up in the mornings, they see they've got interviews everything is in one place it's really well structured they know what they're supposed to be doing and there isn't like a last minute scramble so it's all well organized it's all built out up front and hopefully i mean i know this doesn't often happen in re recruiting but hopefully it should go off without too much of a glitch um that's my sort of takeaway and that's why i really champion on it because i know it i know it works pretty well and it's well received yeah, I think the looking at it from the kind of agency side, um, the a, a, a client having a consistent process makes the whole um, the whole process more manageable. But, but I guess from our perspective, the, the the managing the candidate's expectation upfront of this is what the process is going to look like. These are the things that you should prepare for throughout, um, uh, and being able to give them that kind of um, predictability going in. That doesn't mean that we're telling them what answers to give to the questions because, you know, that's down to that, right? Um, but being able to say, hey, the process is, you know, this, this, this at this stage, this at this stage, this at this stage, and th then that actually happens um, just means that they're able to go in and 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 put their best foot forward and, 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 and present themselves in the best way. There's enough anxiety and nervousness going into the interview anyway as a candidate um to then you know to, to, to add to that by not knowing what meeting you're walking into so from that perspective i think consistency is really important as well uh, jesse you, you um you had something to say on that yeah i just wanted to ask a question lucy how have your you know your interviewers or stakeholders have, have they you know have, have, how have they taken it so is it you know is it well received how you've sort of implemented that or um, it has been well received. So I implemented it at Casada and also was involved in implementing it at Culture Amp, where I was before as well. 
um, it's really well received. So, of course, up front, when a role opens, you have that one-on-one conversation with the hiring manager. And then in that conversation, you build out your hiring panel, um, making sure you've got good representation. So what can happen in tech, as you all know, is so it's not just men interviewing men. That happens quite a lot. But build out that panel, understand what the attributes are, and then having a 30-minute hiring kickoff session where everybody on the interviewing team um, come together and we go through what is the role, what is the process, what are you assessing for at every stage and all of that information is captured into a, a role narrative document so they can always refer to it throughout. And then that's complemented, of course, with all of the feedback forms in the ATS, which are attached to each of the um, interview invites. So it's all there. Nice. Lydia, Lydia what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I um, just a couple of thoughts on that. I suppose, and this is just me thinking out loud, it would also lean into candidate experience a little bit. I'm just thinking if there was a candidate that was interviewed through that process and they were unsuccessful for the role, but you know, that was still a great candidate, um, I suppose the functionality of this platform would also allow other managers to retrieve that profile, assess the candidate, and maybe just ha- even have a follow-up discussion to assess their suitability for their requirements, as opposed to conducting the whole interview process again. I mean, what, what has your experience been like in those sort of instances, Lucy? Um, yes, I think we having that... Um locked and loaded set of feedback and insights into a candidate is always really useful um, to refer back to. Um, If I'm honest, we haven't had a lot where there's a candidate that hasn't been successful for a role and then immediately gone into another. There's always been like a few months gap um, where we perhaps sort of jump midway through the interview process and pick it up where the last one left off. But being able to sort of understand where a candidate's blind spots have been in the past helps us sort of channel the questions to sort of uncover those at a later date. Yeah. Right. And how, how often are those processes uh, or practices reviewed, Lucy? Uh, for every new role that we open up. Um, is, is that what you mean? Like, Yeah. So I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking like if you had... Uh, certain roles within a within a particular team or division or, or area of the business that would follow the same consistent process but with um kind of unique parts of that process each, each of those parts being tailored specifically to that role is there a kind of a central um or a centralized uh, process that is followed and it is tailored at each stage or does each team division manager have their own process that is then tailored from there on So uh, I can speak to like the the technical interview, like we don't redo technical assignments for every uh, engineering role that we open up, no. Um, Like they are reviewed like goodness, probably every few months, but certainly not for every role. What we do do, and this is what's happening at the moment actually, if we notice somebody isn't getting passed, it's always the technical interview. I'm sure other people experience this. Well, nobody's getting past the technical interview, then it's like, okay, well, let's look at what's happening in the technical interview and that might need to be revised and also the pre-dating steps as well need to be looked at. So we are making sure that we're not progressing people who aren't going to be successful in the role. Um, 
that feels a little bit building the plane in flight, but it absolutely happens, I think, you know, with, with processes, as much as structures we can put in place is great, but, you know, these things can't always be set in stone. I don't think as a talent acquisition person, we should go and die on a hill, you know, but no, this is the process that we must adhere to. <laughs> we cannot diverge from this. I think having a little bit of flexibility would um, really be helpful. Um, but yeah, that there definitely are pieces that remain the same, you, that can rinse and repeat. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, but as much as we can, sort of augmenting and tailoring what we're assessing for, for things that we know are going to make somebody successful in the role. And, you know, assessing for them in a way that makes sense. So we're not asking people, how many spark plugs are there in Victoria? No, it doesn't mean anything. Um, like actually having them do a, an assignment that is reflective of what they're going to be coming up against there's types of challenges day in day out because that is a really great indicator of, of success yeah and I think and that's just an interesting point I know that this is something that I discussed with you Lucy and you Olivia when we were kind of having the, the prep calls for, um, for for today's recording um, around the uh, particularly and I suppose this is most often um, happens at the, the technical test or technical assessment or take home stage of the, of, the, of the interview which is obviously ubiquitous in in tech roles these days um but i think if you're looking at any recruitment process and if there's any stage of that that no one ever passes or no one ever fails then it's not fit for purpose because ultimately the job of a recruitment process to whittle down to the, the one person who is best fit for that role and then we we see to hire that person into that role um so if there's a process that no one ever falls out of, well, then we've got exactly the same number of the third stage as we had at the second stage. Well, the second stage is kind of pointless. We're just putting another stage in for the sake of it. Equally, if no one ever gets past stage three, then maybe maybe we need to take it back and look at the whole kind of sourcing part and, and requalifying the role, which should be, our, you know, certainly from an agency perspective, that's the first place we look. Um, but also, maybe that part of the process is just not, fit for purpose or or how that that if we say it's the tech task how that tech task is being reviewed by the interviewer or the manager or whatever to determine whether this person goes through to the next stage perhaps that part of it is is being that's too the too much scrutiny on that or too high a bar or too unrealistic an expectation um certainly from our perspective we we have a um a kind of an expectation on our own success factors between each each stage of an interview process and that is the at least 50 percent should get through each stage so if we submit you know three cvs to a role then at least two of those should be invited to the first interview and if two of those are invited to the first interview then at least one of those should be invited to the next stage and so on and so on and so on um so you know you you don't want too few people getting through but equally having too many people getting through is is just as ineffective, I think. Um, but Olivia, that brings us nicely to, to the conversation that we want to talk about uh, today, which is um, managing hiring managers' expectations. Uh, and I think the um, I think the whole what you're talking about there, Lucy, in terms of managing managing their expectations around what a process needs to look like is is a good place to start. Um, in terms of, I think particularly probably most likely or most commonly focused around that technical interview part or the technical assessment part um managing managers expectations around what they need or what they think they need and how realistic is it that they will find 
that or how realistic is it that someone will know uh, or perform at, a, at the same level as one of your current team on a particular task that they've never done before but your team do every day so yeah managing that kind of what what's where's the where's the bar where's the where's the pass fail mark i guess on on a uh on a, on a technical assessment um but i'm putting words in your mouth here so i'll, I'll, I'll hand over <laughs> to you to uh <laughs> to give the real version no that's a great segue thanks liam um so i'll just start by setting the scene a little bit one of the things that we're trying to explore in the tech ta team at coles is around um technical assessments and to your point liam improving the conversion of candidates from the technical assessment to a higher because that seems to be where we have like a lot of other people i'm sure the most dropout and so it's it's you know dialing into that step in our process and trying to understand why is that the case because what we're finding is that these candidates will come through our process, they'll be unsuccessful, but then they'll be hired elsewhere. So it sort of raises the question, what are other companies doing um, to technically assess their engineering candidates? But furthermore, what we also found is that, I mean, we have a massive technology function at Coles. It takes up, the cohort is about 20% of the entire head office uh, cohort. So we hire a lot of engineers in various teams and all the teams actually um, assess technical candidates differently. Sometimes it'll just be a conversation. Other times there'll be a technical assessment. And to your point, Lucy, it's, um, you know, really detrimental to the integrity of our process if, when, if we don't have that consistency when we do assess candidates. You know, the, the scenario I gave earlier about candidate sharing it just makes it so much more difficult if I have a candidate who's going through a technical assessment, they're unsuccessful, but then they're put through a separate process with another team and it's just a conversation, you know. So you certainly want to be able to streamline that. But going back to, you know, converting candidates and, and to hires and looking at our technical assessment process, I do believe that a lot of our hiring managers, not just at Coles, but I think generally speaking, they do treat the technical assessment as gospel. And part of the challenge with that is that we're not technical people. I'm not a software engineer. It's difficult to challenge their views. And once once a candidate's coding submission has been received, it is very difficult to change um, a hiring manager's decision. So the question is, how do you reset a hiring manager's expectations around what good looks like how do you develop a um success profile what what attributes or skills does a does an engineering candidate really need and what things are trainable um you know it highlighting it's such a competitive market if we don't hire these people i guarantee someone else will and it's just lost opportunity isn't it now, I don't have the answer to those questions um, and I will open up, open it up to the floor to get everyone else's feedback. I'm really keen to hear it. I suspect it probably comes back down to having those very early conversations with our hiring managers, like starting from those job brief sessions, um, identifying the skills that are actually needed from like a tech staff perspective or, you know, working in a uh, what, what kind of commercial environment does this person have to have worked in? Do, do they need to have worked in an agile environment? What things are important versus what things are trainable? And 
ensuring that there are multiple points of contact throughout the recruitment process where you are drilling in and reminding the hiring manager of what their criteria is. Quite often, you know, due to availability, other engineering leads or senior engineers in the team will be brought into the process to assess candidates. And, you know, in some cases, they might be the decision maker. So it becomes very difficult for us to to insert ourselves into the recruitment process and influence the right people when there is a whole team behind the scenes that are making the decision. So, yes, having those multiple points of contact with the manager, ensuring that we are reminding them of what their criteria is so that we can challenge their views when it comes to those coding assessments. Bringing up, you know, what kind of, um, I guess, you know, if, if they were, if they dropped short because they didn't have the right automation experience, for example, going back to our job brief notes, calling out that they don't actually need that experience. So what else is there? Why else are we making this person unsuccessful? So I think it just goes back down to the basics, but you know, it's, it's not always effective because like I said, once the hiring manager sees the results from a coding assessment, it becomes very difficult, very difficult to change their minds. Lucy, this is something you and I discussed at some length in our, in our kind of pre-calls. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Thanks, Liv. It sounds, yeah, like a real challenge. Um, one thing that you said there that, you know, people sort of are, are coming in and out of the process as sort of decision makers are, are shifting makes your role like so much more difficult. I always say if you've got two hiring managers involved in a process, you're, you're, the difficulty in closing that role is twice as, twice as much. It's twice as hard to fill um, and so on and so forth. So like having people coming in and out of the process is really hard. So I really sort of hear you. Um, is there any way where you can sort of set up like a sort of like this is the core hiring team and use those people only for interviews so everybody's hopefully calibrated to what the the one determining factors that might make somebody successful in the role is that possible to have like a sort of core hiring team that hire engineers or assess engineers potentially yes um the only challenge with that is just availability. People are only really called into interviews if they're available. And if they're not, there'll be someone else in the team. So that panel could look different for every candidate, which, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Lucy, that creates inconsistency, doesn't it? It does. It does. And it's it's hard even when they're sort of like sharing feedback. If different people have, have interviewed at different stages even for the same role, um, but the candidates have met with different people on the process, it makes it, it feels like you're comparing apples to oranges yeah. uh, sometimes. So it can be really hard to make a good call on candidates. Um, for uh, looking at, you know, engineers, of course, I always say that you should hire based on propensity to learn rather than years of experience in JavaScript or React mm. or what is but it's that's so much easier said than done particularly when you're talking to engineering managers i completely appreciate that um i don't think there's any silver bullet um i have to hear what uh jesse and liam think about it 
Yeah, I think look, we're, well, I suppose as a yeah working on uh, agency side, we have probably the the unique or fortunate or privileged position to see lots of different interview processes all at the same time. Right, there's no two. No two companies that recruit exactly the same way. Probably no two managers that recruit exactly the same way, which is part of the challenge, right? Um, so we do see lots of um, lots of different processes. Some um, effective processes that are not managed especially effectively, I think, and some um, some you know, and vice versa. But I think I, if we if we're localizing the, the the conversation to the technical task or technical assessment piece, um, I think the gold standard is that it is the task itself is something that is is relatable to what they're going to be doing day to day on the job right so it's not a off the you know off the shelf online online test or just a set of questions that don't really correlate into what they'll be doing day to day in the role i think also again the gold standard not always achievable is that it's not taken home to do in your own time it's at least in some way, um, work through with your interview panel. Whether that be the team you're going to be working on a day-to-day basis or the manager or stakeholder or whatever that might be, but just a way of giving the candidate the opportunity to demonstrate not just what they can do, but how they do it. Because someone being able to perform a task and have a result and you know, here's, here's the finished answer call is great, but if how they got to that is completely incompatible with how your, your existing team get to that perhaps that same outcome then you've got to find that out in you know week two week four of the of the role actually this person is very capable but they don't work the same way as we do and it doesn't and, and therefore it doesn't work it's yeah it's, it's not it's, it's not turned, not turned out to be successful so um you know i think being able to <clears throat> whether that be a whiteboarding session or remote screen sharing or or whatever that might be uh, or even someone doing yeah you know, performing a task and coming in with the completed version of it and saying hey talking them through why they did this thing and why they did it that way and the process they went through and the questions they asked themselves and, and, and so on and so forth. It just shows that, you know, the results, and I always use the, the example of your um, your maths exam at school. If you just wrote the answer down, that's fine. But if you showed your working, you've got a mark. If you showed the working, even if you got the answer wrong at the end of it, as long as you showed how you got to that, you actually still got a mark. Right, because it demonstrates that you you understand the the the, the you know the, the the things behind getting the answer. Uh, they're important. So I understand that there are, to your point, Olivia, there are time challenges. We're all time poor, particularly people who have vacancies on their team, because they're having to pick up the slack of not having a person in that job right now. Right. So um, being being time poor doesn't really lend itself to hey, we're going to sit down for an hour with every possible candidate coming through the process. Um, but some form of interaction at that at that at that tech stage, rather than so much looking down a you know a, 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 a set of code um, and going yes or no based on on what that code says. Um, but I'd like to bring, just bring Jesse in, in, in on this uh, at this point because I think you have an interesting um, viewpoint on this on the basis that working at Mantle Group and all those different brands and all those different tech stacks and they, you would probably recruit for a very wide range of different tech stacks and different capabilities and different skills and different teams and i suppose in a consulting role different clients as well right so Correct. how how do you how do you kind of manage that um technical competency assessment part given there are so many different things you're recruiting for at any given time yeah, so it, it probably leads on to what, I, what I'm probably going to be talking about soon. So, 
you know, how do you, how do you manage, you know, that skills-based competency assessment? So, you know, like, like you said, Liam, you know, we're, we're a consultancy, right? So we deploy our consultants to different customers and partners. So that culture piece, as well as the technical ability has to be, you know, spot on, right? So they're going to be working on different projects, whether it's, you know, within Microsoft, AWS, uh, GCP, whatever it may be. So like I said, we have to find and find out and deep dive into, you know, what their technical ability is and also get an understanding, right? So, you know, from the phone screen of what we do, you know, whether it's 30 or 45 minutes, what I've actually implemented or what the, what the business have implemented is, is that, you know, we actually add another layer into the interview process by, you know, getting the candidate to speak to someone within the business to find out a little bit more about them. It's not an in-depth you know, technical interview. It's just a 30 minute conversation with someone within the leadership team or someone within the business who, you know, knows a little bit more about, you know, projects and, you know, the technical side of things, because Olivia, what you said, you know, we're not, we're not technical, we're not technical, you know, consultants, we're not software developers or cloud engineers, you know, so there's only a, a certain amount that we can ask and we can sort of extract, you know, that data from them. Um, and it's also a really good way for the candidate to spend more time, you know, with the potential team member, you know, to find out, you know, why they joined the business, you know, why we're different from the rest within the IT consultancy. And yeah, like I said, it's an open conversation to find about more about our, you know, find out more about our stakeholders um, and find out, you know, about our projects, our business and customers and partners, you know. So yeah, like I said, it's not, you know, they're not going to be doing a coding challenge or, you know, it's not going to be an in-depth interview where it's going to be an hour's technical interview where, you know, a stakeholder or an interviewer is going to be asking, you know, lots of questions about their technical ability. It's just a 30-minute conversation, an open conversation to find out a little bit more about, you know, their characteristics and traits as well, as well as, you know, to deep dive into sort of a little bit more about their technical ability as well. So that's in between the phone screen as to the technical interview. I think you just you actually just reminded me you've used a, a, an interesting term there, Jesse. That um, it's quite I think it's quite commonly used in in the industry uh, is a coding challenge. And I just think the language around that is um, it's quite um, it's quite direct and it's like a challenge is something you're not supposed to be able to overcome. You know, um, so we're going to challenge you with this coding challenge rather than actually what we're trying to do is just assess your technical capability for the fit. But just just the fact that it has quite commonly has that coding challenge title it sounds like a game show you know where we don't expect you to get past this but you know give it a go anyway let's see how you go um you know actually i think that sometimes that that even though i'm sure that's not what that, that that's not what the point is but um it has that kind of connotation of we're going to make it really hard to get a job here and um, you have to overcome this challenge to do that and i think for, uh, you know we, we always look, look and as i'm sure you guys do look at it from a candidate experience perspective more kind of experience has always been super important i argue it's now more important than ever um but um you know giving people the best opportunity uh to demonstrate their capability at what they do and what it is you know we're looking to hire at that at that given time i think is really important and making that process um aligned with that so that you know come in we want to see we want to see we want to see you at your best um, see what you're see what you're capable of and talk to you about those things because of that to your point earlier Lucy that propensity to um, to learn and, and learn and develop and the sorts of questions that someone asks rather than just the answers that they give to questions that they're asked yeah exactly 100% and 
you know, it, it's different in different organizations, right? So, you know, if if you're applying for a cloud engineering position within Mantle Group, there isn't actually, you know, a, a coding challenge or code assessment uh, compared to a software developer where they have to do they have to do that that the coding assessment or challenge, right? So, um, and like like I said before, it's it's a good way for the candidate to to break the ice with someone within the business, you know, because. You know, when we're when we're speaking to these candidates, you know, you're probably having a five or ten minute conversation about Mantle Group, you know, how we operate, you know, how good we are within, you know, technology industry. And we find out a little bit more about them after, you know, whether it's a half hour conversation after, right? So it's also good for the candidate to find out a little bit more about us as well. Lucy, what's your, uh, what's your comment there? Uh, just I had just a, a question about that, that step. So it's obviously to have a, a conversation first with you, and then this call with like a senior stakeholder and then a technical interview. But it's more around sort of sharing a bit about Mantle Group with the candidate and sort of selling the sizzle, as it were. Do, do you get much instances where the stakeholder turns around and says like, no, absolutely not? Does that yeah, yeah it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good question to be honest with you. Um, Sometimes we do, you know, because like I said, the stakeholder or the interviewer itself, you know, might have that 30 minute conversation where, you know, whether it doesn't gel within that 30 minutes or, you know, whether, you know, the technical side of things, whether it might be, you know, on the cloud side, whether we want to sort of find out a little bit more about their infrastructure as code, um, you know, Azure services, whatever it may be. So that it also gets the, the interviewer or the stakeholder to they do a little bit of research about the that candidate as well previously and they might ask them a few sort of maybe one or two questions around you know what projects they potentially work on you know have you done have you done avd have you done a lift and shift project and it's and it's 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 good for us as well right because you know although we want the culture within mantle group and we've got a fantastic culture in mantle group you know half of the time you're going to be working with you know your customers and clients right so obviously you get a, you get a good gist around that yeah olivia um i was just going to add looking at looking at that scenario from the other side of the equation and from the candidate's perspective i find that involving senior stakeholders in the interview process very early on it does improve the candidate's engagement levels and commitment throughout the recruitment process, meaning that I have found they're more likely to complete a technical assessment or a coding challenge, um, which is so important to show that the organisation is willing to, senior people are willing to invest their time in meeting candidates, uh, which would hopefully deter them from looking at other companies. I'm sure they're actively interviewing the market. So that is a big differentiator, I find. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the the, the candidate engagement um, as early on in the process is super important for exactly that reason. Everyone gets, you know, any, any candidate in the market gets five, six tech assessments to do at any given time. Let's say it's an average of two hours of their time, but they've got to find in their spare time um, to do that. You're going to prioritize the ones that you, the job you want the most, right? And they, they yeah. tend to want the one um that you have engaged with the people there and where a leader has taken the time out of out of their day to to answer your questions and and, and talk to you um rather than hey we'll just you know, you'll meet the leader at the end of the process for, for 15 minutes just to you know do a do a sanity check which we often we often hear about right um and i think yeah and actually yeah the, the podcast 
um, series that, that that we we run is a is an example of that. You know, um, this is obviously the talent acquisition um, series, but we have um, a lot of the contributors and other other episodes have been tech leaders and CTOs and heads of engineering and, and whatnot. And so when we're working with those organisations on live assignments. We're able to say, hey, you know, speaking to the candidate, hey, this is the this is the company that we're recruiting for right now, and this is the role, and these are the projects, and this is the tech stack, and here's the um, job spec, and here's the link to their website. But we can also say is, hey, here's a forty five minute podcast we did with the CTO of this organization who tell who talks a bit about the whatever it might be, you know, how they build their engineering culture, or you know, the benefits of moving to serverless technology, or whatever it might be. Um, have a listen to that. You're going to be meeting this person at, at, at some stage of the process. By the time they meet that person, they already feel like they they know them because they've heard their voice on a podcast. They've heard how they talk. They've heard what they talk about. Um, so that's been a really kind of useful way for us to, I guess, leverage the the, the, the podcast um, episodes that we've recorded to deliver that better candidate experience, deliver that better engagement with with, with, with clients because it is, as, as, we, as I'm sure we all agree, it is so so important in, in in the current market that that's that's being delivered good people are getting multiple offers and unless one of them is um <laughs> monumentally higher paying than the others then typically it will come down to which one they feel most engaged with and and where they got the where they got the the the, the most warm and fuzzy should we say um and and people taking time out of their day to, to invest in that process i think is a, is a really good way of demonstrating that um Lucy, did you have your hand up there or did I, was that a, a, a residual hand up from a previous question? I'd like to just jump in. I know we get, um, as talent acquisition people, we get this a lot around, you know, feedback saying, oh, this person's not a culture fit. Um, and I know that it, it is, it's always that, do we hire for culture ad or do we hire for technical competence? And they're always sort of like headbutting sometimes. Um, what we know is that hiring for culture fit is just laden with inherent bias and if you get feedback on a candidate saying oh not a culture fit we as recruiters can't go to that person and say we're not offering you the job because you're not a culture fit I mean imagine receiving that feedback I'd be like well (laughs) Um, anyway so just avoid that at all costs assemble your barge pole as your mother would say anything to do with culture fit just don't touch it is what I would <laughs> for values alignment however is a much better indicator of future success so what are your values ask some questions around that and see how they resonate with candidates that's a much better way um, and hopefully will help your interviewers make better hiring decisions because they, they're not just like oh they wouldn't fit in here like otherwise you just have a really homogenous culture and we know that won't enable teams to build better products basically so that would be my sort of key sort of like thing would be values alignment as opposed to culture fit yeah, i think it's, it's really important that any feedback um positive or negative but, but especially negative i think it's more important that the person who doesn't get the job has a good candidate experience than the person who does because they get they get to have an employee experience uh, after that yeah. um but i think any feedback whatever it is and and often you know the culture fit feedback is is a nice easy throwaway if it's if there's nothing tangible with that um then it's really difficult for us to um 
give that to, to, to the candidate in any meaningful, constructive way. Um, so, you know, I, I'm look, many years ago, I, I probably gave up on trying to eradicate the word culture from our, from our jobs because it's just, it just it's, it's, it's impossible to do, right? But what does it mean? As long as it has a meaning, as long as there's something tangible behind it, not a culture fit because, and that turned into values alignment or it turned into this or that or the other, and there's some form of demonstrable feedback or, or um, yeah. you know, useful feedback to constructive feedback to give that person say hey didn't get the job this is why and this is why this is why um then people don't mind typically people don't mind not getting the job if there's a reason why uh, in our experience yeah. olivia what about you i was just going to add to that lucy i think it's such a good um point to raise and i, I really like the term value alignment because the, the word culture it's just so icky now isn't it um and it's it's so broad like how do you tell a candidate that they're not the right culture fit for the team whatever that means um but value alignment again looking at it from a candidate's perspective i have found there that there have been times where a candidate has fallen short in the recruitment process because they didn't have um i think it was agile experience the the uh, example that i'm thinking of however the person was just so outstanding and was so aligned to our values and she was really able to without any guidance she was really able to promote that in her interview and that actually superseded the experience that she was lacking so i i find that even you know maybe prepping candidates and reminding them that it's not always about your experience focus on what you can bring the value you can add to an organization that can often in- help them perform better in an interview awesome okay well look thanks everybody that was uh, a really good chat took, uh, took a lot of notes on that one and um got some some takeaways i'm sure you'll have as well um really appreciate the the, the time as I said at, at, at the top we're all incredibly busy um and, and time poor so that you've taken the time out of your days today to um to join this conversation um was uh, is, has really been appreciated so thank you very much and i look forward to speaking to you all again very soon thank you